Que pasó, que pasó? What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Manny to the Max podcast. I haven't done this in a while because I've been on the road. I've been busy. Check this out. This podcast is actually being recorded from Korea. I'm currently in Korea. I've actually been gone from since December 4th. Uh, I've been doing uh, military comedy shows with my good friends, uh, Daniel Dugar, and this next guest I'm about to introduce here in a second. But uh, this is December 20th, which would be December 19th back home, so I'm one day ahead. But I hope everybody's having a kick-ass holidays and all that good stuff. And I hope everybody's ready just to really enjoy the holiday season and be really feel grateful and blessed for what they have and, and what they're going to have in the, in the near future. But uh, I'm excited to have this guest. He's a great friend of mine. Uh, we've, it's funny. We've gotten to know each other a little bit better since on this trip. And uh, he's one of the funniest guys I know. And he's always, uh, <laughs> he's always, uh, he's always outspoken and he's just... He's a good writer. He's a, he's an actor. You might he's been on commercials. He's been on TV. He's a good stand up. The one and only Dan and Green is my guest today. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> what up, Manny? Hey, man. I, thank you for doing this podcast. Listen, uh, for those of you who don't know, Dan and Green and has been doing comedy for you know. I'll just let you take it from here. How long you been doing comedy now, brother? Twenty seven years now. Nineteen nine. Well, twenty eight. Nineteen ninety one. Nineteen ninety one. I started the first time I ever hit the stage was nineteen ninety one. But I always tell people, you never start comedy until you move to L.A. So I started comedy in 92. Nice. Mm-hmm. And tell everybody where you're from. Give a quick introduction where you're from, how, uh, how and, you come, and all that stuff. Yeah, born and raised in uh, Manhattan, New York. Um, then I wound up moving to Philadelphia and being raised in Philly, I should say. Born in New York, raised in Philadelphia. Um, then, you know, uh, went on to uh, go to college in the Midwest Got my master's degree from Ohio State, the Ohio State University, and got into comedy my last year in grad school, which was 1990, 91. And from there, the rest is, I don't want to say history, but, you know, that's where, how it started. So you had no aspirations on trying to be doing stand-up, but kind of just comedy just chose you? Yeah, actually, I won't say it chose me, but I, I, had, I wanted to be a businessman. Mm-hmm. That was my goal. That's what I was going to school for, to be a businessman. And I wind up, um, you know, started doing stand-up really as a... Uh, Kind of as a just like, oh, you know what? I finished school up. I got time to do whatever I want to do. You know what? Let's just go on stage. You've always been a character. You've always been someone that people say was funny. Let's just do it. And it, it kind of came from there. That's cool. So now, since you've been doing it for, like you said, how many, what, 28 years now? Yes. What what um, what um changes have you seen in the, in the stand-up comedy game? And, like, you've obviously been, like, you've been on what, what TV show? You've been on BET Comic View. Comic View, uh... Uh, one Mike Stand with Kevin Hart. Mm-hmm. Um, take it to the stage. Oh, was it Take It to Stage? I think with uh, Tony Rock, or one, one night, one you know, one night comedy with Tony Rock. Mm-hmm. I did his show. I did Comic View probably five times. I had my own hour, a half an hour special on Comic View before. So I've done a lot. I've done a lot. Nice. And in terms of stand up, yeah, for stand up, stand up, and then number of commercials. I've, I mean, I just booked a commercial, but I, um, but I've done a number of commercials, and then. I also have done a number of television shows. Nice. So what what since you've seen the change in comedy, what um do you like where comedy is right now or or I mean cuz you you kind of started out like you said if you started in the 90s that means you were part of uh kind of like I guess I would say a little bit of the dry spell a little bit like when comedy first started like in the 90s and you saw the the heat the right. the upswing of comedy, right? Right. right. Um I like I mean I came in when it was it, 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 it was hot. It was kind of, you know, streaming hot. But, oh, 
Um, it was streaming hot. But what happened was, uh, um, you don't want to miss. Uh, Everybody, I'm trying to whack this big ass. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what it is. Is that a hummingbird? Ain't no goddamn bird. It's a goddamn wasp or bee. No, it's, it's not a wasp. It ain't no bird. It ain't no bird. Go ahead, continue. So, um... <laughs> got it. Go ahead, continue. You got it. It's all good. Is that one, man? I don't know where it is. It fell down somewhere. You know, you, you sure you killed it? Yeah, I don't know. He might be alive, but go ahead. I'm Mexicans. They ain't scared of shit. <laughs> um... What was the question again? No, we were talking about... Uh, oh, where comedy is. Um, I think comedy is growing. Um, I, I kind of came in. It was hot, but then it cooled down a little bit. Mm -hmm. Because um, when I moved to L.A., you know, Robin Harris was had just passed. So in terms of the Comedy Act Theater, where I had started out here in L.A., it was going... You know, it had really kind of cooled down. Mike Williams had gotten sick. So people wasn't really coming out to clubs. Now, I, I really but, don't know anything about... The, the comedy act here, can you explain to me and maybe our listeners? Because I, I hear stories of it. So how was that room? The comedy act theater was owned by Michael Williams, who owned the first black comedy club in um, the country. Okay. And he had one in L.A. and he had one in Atlanta. And uh, it's where Robin Harris, uh, who was from Chicago. Originated, like owned his craft. Right. He was the main host there. Mm -hmm. And um, it wound up becoming a place where D.L. and Joe Torrey and... Um, Wayans, uh, um, Damon, and a lot of those guys were coming, going down there at the time and getting their and start. Getting their start, yes. And then, you know, obviously it was a, it was a place to be until about ninety three, ninety four. And then when the riots came, Hollywood stopped really coming down there to to the so comedy. Where, where was that located at? It was forty third and Crenshaw. Oh, forty third and Crenshaw. Okay, yes. okay. Mm -hmm. All right. And then I remember you telling me on this trip that you um, that the that the comedy store had um, a hot night as well, right? The comedy store, hot night started in 95, 96. Mm -hmm. Guy Tory and I at the time, who were very good friends at the time, we were, um, Guy came to me um, one day and said, Dan, he wanted to start a comedy night and asked me if I wanted to be down with him. And I said, yeah, you know, and we started, he started this thing called Fat Tuesday. And it became, over a five-year span, the, the top comedy club, top comedy night, and top showcase for black talent in the country. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So people like people industry would go out there and check out some of the Everybody, young, yeah, young because, black comics and stuff yeah, like that? Yeah, because it was on Sunset Boulevard. So mm -hmm. people didn't have to worry about going to the hood. Right. Um, a lot of the celebs or the industry folk could come right down Sunset and come over the hills or come up from West L.A. or mm -hmm. whatever. And it was easy to get to. And I won't even say easier. It was safer for them, they felt, right. to come to. And it was on Tuesday, you said? It was Tuesday night. And it Tuesday, was, what, like at 9 or 10? We, or? we would start the show at 8.30. Oh, 8.30? Yeah. It went at 8.30 on the dot? Yeah, sometimes we would have a couple of comics, um, like some amateurs come on, but mm -hmm. most likely, most time we didn't. But because um, by the time we start the show, we already we would have a, a packed house. We never had a delay. And it was in the main room, right? It was the main room. It started, nice. though, in, a, in, in the, the belly? Uh, belly room. And then you guys, and, and then the popularity got, grew up. And it then, got so big, we couldn't keep it in the belly room. Nice, nice. So, so now, um, I, I've seen you perform. When I first met you, I, I think I met you at the Comedy Union or, or the mm -hmm. Ha Ha. Um, now, as far as um, I guess the, the black comedy rooms, would just, is it just a union now that's left? You, the Comedy Union is the last black comedy club in L.A. 
right? Uh, that's black owned. Black owned. Right? Uh, James Anthony Brown closed his club down. He mm-hmm. has some health issues and things like that. And the other ones just have nights. The Improv has a night. Right. The uh, Laugh Factory has a night. And the comedy store has a night. That's it. Yeah. So we're oh, the, only the allowed, comedy, to, have, we're the only allowed com- to have nights. Yeah. Same here. And I I can relate. So the comedy store has a, what night? Where is it a predominantly? Is it is, is it Tuesday still or? It will be Thursday. Thursday. Upstairs in the belly. Oh, upstairs in the belly. Nice, nice. Now, you've been telling me about this documentary you've been working on. Can you let our listeners know what you have been working on and what's your what's what's your baby called? Well, um. Uh, what a lot of people don't know is that I've been writing since 1998, 99 in terms of screenplays. Um, I started writing back then because I knew that even though I'm, I consider myself a good stand-up, um, I know that at the end of the day, um, I'm going to have to make that transition into getting behind the camera as well mm-hmm. to stay in the game. So I started writing back in 99, 98, 99 screenplays. But about two years ago, um, I wanted to, I wanted to do a project. I had some money. And then um, it came about, I used to be a, a two-time Golden Gloves champ out of Columbus, Ohio. and But I started boxing out of Philadelphia. And I went home to see my to do a show. I ran to an old teammate that was on my boxing team. And when he told me that one of the trainers was still alive, I, I got the number from him because I hadn't seen a man in over 30 years or so. And then I called him out the blue. And when I called him and I said, hey, yeah, Frank Taylor. And he said, yeah, this is Frank Taylor. And he goes, I go, oh, hi, this is Dan and Green. I used to box for you when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And he goes, Dan and Green, Dan and Green. He goes, Dan and Green, Felton Street, Southpaw. Good fighter. Yeah, I remember you. And it touched me, made me almost cry because I was like, I hadn't seen this man in over 30-something mm-hmm. years. And he remembered everything about me, even where I lived. Wow. And I, I, I knew that this was a story that had to be told. It had to be told because... These guys, these two men started a boxing uh, team, started a boxing gym that kind of saved the boys from the street of Philadelphia right. without knowing that they were about to create some of the greatest amateur collections of amateur fighters over a 10-year span the country and probably the world has ever seen. So what, um, when you, what, what got you wanting to do uh, boxing when you, when you were younger? What made you want to start um, boxing? I didn't really want to. What happened was mm-hmm. my two friends... Um, Two of my friends, they were um, a little smaller than me. We used to always slap box. Mm-hmm. And make a long story short, they used to always tag me. And I was like, man, how the fuck they keep hitting me? So anyway, one day I was walking down the avenue in Philadelphia, and they were walking down. So we kind of caught each other at the, at, it was Jason and Eric, and we kind of met at the corner together. And they had two bags. They both had bags with them, mm-hmm. like duffel bags. So I'm like, you know, where you guys going? And it was like, oh, man, we're going to the boxing gym. I said, the boxing gym. They go, yeah, yeah. We. I said, y'all boxing? They go, yeah. I never knew they boxed. Mm-hmm. So I ran home and I, I begged my mom, could I box? And she said no at first. And then I lied and told her I was having troubles in the street. And then she says, she came back two days later and said, you can box, but I hope you get hurt. And, mm-hmm. and then I got involved with boxing. And, and and how old were you when this happened? I was 14. So you, you, you started fighting when you were 14? Mm-hmm. And then when... When uh, when did you start? When was your first fight? Like, what? How old were you? Were you fourteen or fifteen? Fourteen when I had my first. Fight. When you had your first fight? Yeah, I had uh, four fights. Mm-hmm. I was, I have I was two and two, and then um, I moved out of Philly. I lost my mom when I was younger, so I had to move, and I didn't box for like almost seven years. I was just training off and I kept moving a lot, and it wasn't until um, um, I went to Iowa um, in college where I started getting back involved in boxing. 
And what happened was I had a chance to spar Michael Nunn, and I sparred Nunn for like two days, three days. Michael Nunn, I remember Michael him. Michael Second and Nunn. Michael Second and Nunn, he yeah. was, who was a former world champion, yes, right? Yes, very a great fighter. And um, I wind up uh, um, to the point where he didn't go hard on me, mm-hmm. but they could see that I had potential. And I took it up and... Uh, I ran off 13, 14 straight wins. So what was it? What was your final record when you... Um, 16, uh, 13 and 3. 13 and 3? That's yeah. pretty damn amazing, man. Yeah, it was good. But why, did, why didn't you want to stick through stick with boxing? Because um, I, I, I was fighting while in college. And that okay. was a problem. And I was working on my degrees. So when I got my master's, I had a choice whether to turn professional or pursue my education. And because uh, I got invited to Sugar Ray Leonard's gym in Palmer Park, Maryland, and... Two of his sparring partners beat the shit out of me down there. So I was like, you know what? An education ain't a bad thing to happen. <laughs> so I stayed into my education. And then I wound up getting into entertainment. Okay. So now we... I, I for the list- In terms of the documentary, yeah. real quick. Um, you know, we, we decided to produce the doc. And you actually have saw three, yes, three yes. fourths of it. And it's a great story. It's just... It's a phenomenal story, mm-hmm. and um, so I think it needs to be seen for sure. So, what um, when you were um, after you finished uh, your boxing short-lived career, which I think right. you know it it, it was, but well, it's okay. Sure. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. all right. But you did it. That's amazing. Yeah, and I'm still involved in boxing. And you're still involved in boxing. You're still a big fan. Yeah. And now, I remember we had a conversation the other night. You were saying that um, you knew Diego Corrales, who's one of my favorite um, boxers. Yeah. Tell our listeners about that story. Um, Diego was a, a very good friend of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, I met Diego. First, I, I met Diego in Vegas. I was in Vegas with Guy Tori. We were performing. I think it was at the time we were performing at the Riviera. Okay. So that's how long ago it was. It was either the Riviera Club or, was it, or the other club. But mm-hmm. we were there for a Mike Tyson fight. So it was in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And Diego actually... Um, was on the undercard of the Mike Tyson fight. Actually, it was the the, the Norris or, or the Norris Tyson fight. Oh wow! Um, um, and what happened was uh, we were there eating lunch the day of the press conference, and Guy and I were at one table, and right next to us was Diego Corrales. And so we say, you know, we just small chat. We didn't even know who he was. We say, hey man, what's going on, man? He say, and then he said to me, he said, aren't you a comedian? And I go, yeah. He said, yeah, yeah, I like you, man. You're a funny dude, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And I said, who are you? He said, man, my name is Diego Graz, and I'm fighting for the world title tonight, tomorrow night. And I was like, wow. And he was like 34, 35, or no. Mm-hmm. Maybe, you know, whenever he won the title. Right. And um, so we went to the fight, and I met him there. He actually, I actually have the autographed picture he gave me. Nice. I still have it at my home. And he um, won the title. And then what happened was he wind up... Um, Training with Joe Goosen, and Joe mm-hmm. Goosen became his trainer. And Joe Goosen and Tim Goose Boxing is around the corner. From Joe Goosen used to be uh, train uh, Riddick Bow too, right back in no, the days. No, he, he actually Joe Goosen trained um, Michael Moore, Michael Nunn, M- Michael Nunn. Yes, Michael Second and Nunn yeah. too as well. Okay. Yeah, that was his trainer. Did he? Training. He didn't train any heavyweights. I could have sworn he trained he a heavyweight. Trained, he did train a heavyweight, but it wasn't, Michael, it wasn't at, Michael Moore. It, it wasn't. I could have sworn Michael, he trained yeah. Riddick Bow. It might be. I've seen Reddick in the gym before, but it wasn't. Okay, all yeah. right. I might. I might be wrong it was on another, that. It was the guy they used to call um, do, um, um, Goofy. It was this guy, Lennox, Lennox Whitaker, Lance Whitaker, Lance Whitaker. Yes, who all was right. Twenty one and twenty two and zero with Joe and him. And then he wound up leaving. He took the money and ran, mm-hmm. and then he wound up getting beat after that. When you were coming up the, 
when you were uh, fighting and would you watch other boxers, other good boxers uh, fi- oh box God, too? Yeah. Who who were your top three that you watched live? Did, like to help me. Yeah. When I was going, mm-hmm. and, which I, and I was actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alexis Aguero. That's great. Uh-huh. Um, Marvin Hagler. I was a big Tommy Harris fan. Mm-hmm. And um, but I like technical fighters. People I, that were just uh, technicians in the ring that would I get like the guys, points I, and all I, that stuff. I, I like guys that can think mm-hmm. because I was a thinking fighter. Mm-hmm. You know, because I had power and I. Once you have power, you don't have to try to, um, you know, you don't have to try to uh, out punch. Yeah, and you know, put your will on the power. It's it's, it's natural. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I like technical. Fight. I love Alexis Aguero, and I would watch a lot of these guys and just, you know, get what I could out of them. Okay, like right now, since you're since you still like boxing, like who are who are your favorite? Maybe just name a couple, two or three fighters that you like to. Like if they're on the card, if they're on TV, you're like, all right, I want to watch them fight. Well, my favorite fighter really is uh, of uh, was um, um, Floyd Mayweather. Okay, one of my favorites. He's like top four, five. And what 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 made you like? Because a lot of people can't stand him, so and a lot of people do like him. He's he's kind of like half and well, half. Anybody, so what makes you what makes you what makes you like him? Well, I like him because anybody that knows boxing knows he's great. Mm-hmm. Anybody that can take race. Mm-hmm. Uh, nationality out of it mm-hmm. and really know what Boston's about knows that Floyd Mayweather is, is one of the best fighters ever. Mm-hmm. Um, what I liked about him was Floyd Mayweather can adjust to any fight. He um, And when you can adjust to any fighter, it's very hard to beat you. Right. Which means he doesn't fight the same way every fight. That's the first thing. Um, so Floyd was like one of my top ones. Then I've obviously um, Earl Spence. And I started liking Floyd. I was a fan of Floyd, but I wasn't a big fan of his. Until he beat Diego Corrales. Okay. Because Diego was my guy. And I bet, I didn't bet, bet, but I bet that I thought Diego would, was going to beat Floyd. Uh-huh. Floyd knocked him down eight times. Yes, I do remember that fight. Yes. But um, Diego Corrales was was my, uh, I mean, was, he's a fan. He was a fan favorite of mine. He's like a friend of mine. Mm-hmm. But I was a, a Floyd fan. And now when I look, I'm like um, Earl Spence, big Earl Spence fan. Mm-hmm. Deontay Wilder, I'm a big fan of you his. You like that little bit of the heavyweights too? Yeah, yeah a few of them. Okay. Um, Chris Ariella was a very good friend of mine. I liked him. Yeah, Chris is uh, from, um, is it Inland Empire? Yeah, Pomona. Yes, from Pomona. Or I remember Riverside, Chris. One of, Riverside of Pomona. One of, yes, I yeah. do remember Chris. So, you know, yep. All right. Yeah. So, do you like the state of boxing how it is right now? You kind of miss the good old days. Um, the... I, I mean, obviously, I think you you and I, being on this trip for almost mm-hmm. 20 days, yeah. I think you know what kind of person I am now. And I'm a pretty much real person. Mm-hmm. So I don't like it when um, um, things are being manipulated by the judges. Mm-hmm. If, you don't, if you're not, not going to call what you really see, I would rather not watch it. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. Because I think we got fights that are, are fights that are some good fights that at the end of the day, you know, politics and stuff gets involved. And then you're not really... You know, if it's a close fight, you're not going to get the decisions that probably should get. I, I miss the facts. I miss the the days when a lot of these great fighters. You talk, you know, in the '80s and '90s, they would fight every six months. They wouldn't wait, um, you know, a year. Now you have to wait like a year. Yeah. Maybe you know, sometimes sixteen to seventeen months, because like you said, it's just a lot of uh, red tape that you have to. Well, there's two ways to look at it too, mm-hmm. and I and and I really I I I do agree that you know you should fight. I think you should fight every six months. Yeah. But we also have seen the damage that happens As with for dra- brain trauma and all yeah. that stuff. Uh-huh. I mean, it's, you know, you got to remember, man, you're training three months. Yeah. So for the first three months of the, of the, of your, before the fight, so say the year, 
you're, you're training, mm-hmm. right? So then you got to fight the fourth month. So if you take a year, that's four months going already for training and fighting. Now, unless you get a knockout, you're going to go the distance. And unless mm-hmm. you are dominating, it's going to be punishment. And you're not even counting your training punishment, sparring. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Now you're asking a guy to come back two months after that fight and start training for the next fight, which would be in six months. Right. It's a lot of, it's a lot of women. Now, I believe it's just to be done because of the money that's being paid. But when you look at the health aspects of it, you know, if you get an early knockout, then you should be able to go ahead and get the fuck up out of there. You know what I mean? Right. You should be able to go to another fight. So, when, um, since you since you know your sports pretty well, that's one good thing that's we've gotten along a lot better because you do know sports. What is your um, what's your what's your biggest pet peeve when it comes to um, athletes? Do you feel like they as far as in any sport, do you feel like they train harder now or they trained a little bit harder before, or is it just different? Is it just the athletes to me are soft? Okay, and why you know, why do you think that they just soft? They 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 they. <laughs> They cry and they whine mm-hmm. so much, and they make stuff so personal. That's why the NBA athletes and the NFL athletes, they don't let them express themselves, and they don't let them fight if there is a fight, because these guys get violent, and you know what I mean? It just gets, they, they whine. I mean, every time a shot goes up, they, they cry and yeah, foul. It's cry fouls, you know yeah. I mean? <laughs> they, they, the NFL, people don't like the NFL because of no hitting in the NFL. Right. But it's really because of the... Um, the players, mm-hmm. the players complained about, you know, drama and all that. And a lot of the guys were just jumping on the lawsuit because it's very hard for anybody to say you don't have or you do have brain damage. Mm-hmm. So they were, so because of that, it wound up hurting. It hurt the NFL. So the NFL had to protect himself. You know what I mean? Right. So I just think these guys today. I mean, they don't want to have two a days. You know, now they want to train once. A day, right? You can only hit one day a week. Yeah, but if you notice in the NFL, that's why more players are getting hurt because they're not training. They're not, as you're hard. not training as hard. Yeah, and then in the NBA, these dudes are already crying about the season too long. But you make it thirty-seven million, you know, forty million. And, but then, <laughs> but then of course the complaint is, well, the owners are making money. They're the fucking owners. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and you know, if you're a real street dude, you don't count another man's money. So if, if I'm paying you forty million and you, that's a lot of bank. Right. You shouldn't be worried about what I'm making. As long as you're getting your 40. Mm-hmm. You know? So, when you're, when, when you're watching an NBA game, and we're actually, you guys, what we're doing this podcast, we're actually multitasking. We're watching right. basketball and, uh, and doing this podcast. What is, it, what is it that you miss about the old NBA? Like, I'm talking about <clears throat> 80s and 90s. What is it you miss? Um... I mean, are you a big fan of like how how super teams are created? I'm not. It's not that I'm not a fan. Mm-hmm. First of all, I think you also know on this trip, I'm a big LeBron fan. Mm-hmm. You are. I'm, I'm yes. A, I'm, I'm apologetic for, for LeBron. <laughs> no, and it's okay. Let our listeners know why you like LeBron. Um, I love LeBron because one, I think he's a complete player. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think he's been given a bad rap, and it comes because of the super team thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but people don't want to remember that. You know, really, the first super team of the of the two thousands was Boston. You know what I mean? You know, KG, I do remember that. KG. I do remember when they signed KG yeah, and, and, really, and and, and uh, 
KG and and Ray Allen. Allen. And then they had Paul Pierce. They already had Paul Pierce because that's their boys. And then they got Rondo. They drafted Rondo Rondo from Kentucky. Right. And then they got Ray Allen. But 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 the reason (laughs) that I have an issue with that is because um, everybody knows in sports it's very hard to win with one superstar. Of course. Now you can have a superstar. But but you can have four great great role players. Like for example, like when the Lakers won in the, like the last time they won, two thousand nine, two thousand ten, they had two pretty damn good players, meaning Kobe and Paul Gasol, and they right. had some good supporting. And cast. they had very good role players. Mm-hmm. Or if you want to really get technical, you can go Michael Jordan and Pippen, mm-hmm. and then great they had role players, great role players, Tony Kukoc, you know, uh, Luke Longley, Luke Longley. I mean, if you ever look at Horace Michael, Grant and all those guys, if you really want to get technical. With, with the NFL, uh, NBA, NBA. Mm-hmm. take a look at Michael's teams. So go to, to you know, look up the 90 teams mm-hmm. and look at the players and look at where they were drafted. Because some of them weren't drafted. Some of them came to the, to the Bulls. Yeah, I think Kukos but, came from overseas. Kukos at the time was the number one European player. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I so think. You know I'm, I'm not sure you guys have. You know what I'm saying? And then you got one year Mike had Bill Cartwright, who at one time was the number one draft pick. Winnington mm-hmm. and Luke Longley were first first round draft picks. Mm-hmm. Draft picks. Pippa was the first round draft pick. Um, they had Bison Williams. And, 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 and no, no, you mean Bison Daly? Daly, right? <laughs> no, he changed his name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember him. Yeah, he unfortunately, he passed away. But yeah, he was the number one. You know what I'm saying? That's right. So That's right. People don't want to look at the fact that Mike had some top ball players. Mm-hmm. Then, if you fast forward, people don't want to look at that KG, Paul Pierce, Ray Allen, and Rondo mm-hmm. were beasts. You know what I mean? And, you know, there was just that that YouTube thing came out with KG kind of dog LeBron. And mm-hmm. everybody got mad at LeBron. But LeBron, the problem was LeBron figured out at a young age that for me to be considered great and to win, I can't do it in Cleveland. They're not bringing me anybody. Mm-hmm. And if anybody wants to dispute that, I would tell you to go look at the Detroit Lions and Barry Sanders. They wasted one of the greatest running backs' lives to me, careers by not putting some superstars, some, around some good him pieces around, and him. get him a chance to go to the playoffs yeah. and win a Super Bowl. Yeah, because he only went to I think one, maybe two playoffs. It was two playoffs, and one year they made it to the championship. One yeah. year they lost to the Redskins in the NFC title game, yeah, and then yeah, that yeah. was it. That was it, and that was like ninety one or something, yeah. ninety two. Mm-hmm. So as you, as you know, I'm a Laker fan too, and I have nothing against LeBron. So I mean, yeah, is he going to be an all time? Be, be honest now, you know, because LeBron, but you. You Here's the thing, my, my, I, it's weird, you guys. I, I look as a Laker fan. I would like to see, you know, them win a title, and it, it's, it is a little different. But it, we have LeBron now, and we Believe have Anthony not. Davis. Believe it or not, Laker fans mm-hmm. would rather Lakers win without LeBron. And I'm LeBron. not, and, I, and I'm not one of them. I, I yeah. feel like as a Laker fan, if if we have a talented player like LeBron and he gives us a ring, great. I'm not going to say, oh, I don't want him winning. No, I mean he's a, he's an amazing player, right? And top ten player of all time, mm-hmm. and I I feel obviously this year is a it, it the Lakers and we both talked about this, the Lakers have to in order for the I think to be a successful season right they have to make it to at least the Western Conference Finals and if they win the finals even better but no if anything less than a Western Conference Final appearance right. it's considered a disaster I I truly I wanted to win I think they got the team mm-hmm. but I also believe that uh, AD has to. Stay injury prone. Yeah, stay from away from injuries. Yeah, Excuse me. Right. So, as you see, as you see, the Lakers, who haven't won anything, and it's going to be ten years. 
mm-hmm. as we get into uh, 2020. Okay. That's a long time for a franchise like that to not right. have for success. Story, for a story for for a story franchise to yeah. not have success. What, is the, what else do you think they need to maybe help as far as to get them over the hump? I think they need a shooter. Another shooter? I mean, a marksman. A marksman, like a certified I don't legit. like Danny Green. People keep, they, <laughs> people keep people. I keep telling people he's not the answer. He's not the answer? Okay. He's not the guy. All right. So now that you, um, now that you, you know, you said your quotes or your statements about NBA, what is it, what's going on with your Eagles this year? Because I'm, I've been trying to figure out Carson Wentz. Is he the answer? He's not the answer. And what, and what is I it? Think the prob- <laughs> and people say, wait, well, is he the answer? But the problem is, is that if you look at the last three years when the Eagles were actually getting to the playoffs and making a run, Carson Wentz, yeah, he came in and played, but he never played the full season. Nick Fultz, you know, it's almost like Carson Wentz, is good for four or five games. <laughs> four or five games, yeah. and then and he's like, yeah. hey, man, I need somebody else to help yeah. me out. Yep. So you think this is a kind of a make-or-break uh, year for him as well, too? Yeah, and I, well, they already paid him the money. They already paid him, so, so it's not the money's money. there. I believe that the uh, if the Eagles don't beat Dallas this year, the mm-hmm. teams will be broken up, and the coach could get... Could get axed. Because you, you, know, you got a lot of money committed to the... To the, to the, uh, to the players. Yeah, to the quarterback. So you like... So you... you now you are from Philly, but you you just like the Lakers. Are you not a Sixers fan at all? I'm not really a Sixers fan. Did you like him when you were growing up? Yeah, because they had Dr. J. Dr. J. And uh-huh. I've never been one to lie. I'm not a team when it comes to basketball. Mm-hmm. I just don't like a team. I like a player. You like, I players, like player. instead, player. I like the team. I love Jordan, so I followed the Bulls. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I loved um, um, you know Kareem when I, when when I was a kid. And actually, I loved Bill Walt when I was a kid. So I used to, you know what I mean. Follow me, you know, and I really and I follow. What people don't remember is that when the Lakers had Shaq and Kobe, I was a big Laker fan because Shaq was my guy. When Shaq left and he left hard like that, I I did like a lot of people in LA did. I split. You split. Uh-huh. Some people went with Kobe, some went with Shaq, and I was with Shaq. All right. So wrapping up this episode, what is um? Who, were you influenced by any? Uh, comedians? Is there any anybody that you liked uh, when you George first started? George Carlin was your favorite comic? Yeah. Okay. Because he was topical. And if you mm-hmm. know my style, mm-hmm. I talk about things that are really yeah. happening. And when I do make you it talk a about joke, news and all that I stuff. I talk about news great. and I try to make things that are really happening in life. I try to you know make it funny and that's mm-hmm. what I do. So no. George Carlin, George Carlin was. Carlin. I mean, obviously, everybody says you know they love Richard Pryor. But you, you, that's you were, a, you were a George Carlin. I was a very George Carlin. Big, big fan of George Carlin. No, nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Now I know you're a movie guy too. So tell our listeners what's uh, give it. Give us your first, your top three movies of all time that you enjoy. Like if it's on TV, you watch it or, or um, whatever. Uh, Shawshank Redemption. Mm-hmm. Um, Scarface. Scarface. And um, Goodfellas. Goodfellas. Those, those you can't go wrong with any yeah. of those. And I can watch those anytime. <laughs> like I can watch them and, and, and just get glued. I can know every line and still I watch it. Each what, what's your favorite? Um, what's your favorite food to eat? Like if you if you have a choice, like when you're at a restaurant, what what is it that you like to eat? Um, I like Italian food. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people should say you know when they say depending on their nationality, mm-hmm. you know I don't think it's fair <laughs> for them to say I like Mexican food if they're Mexican because you're Mexican. Yeah. You grew up on it. You grew up you know on it, I mean? right? If you, you know, I like soul food, but you grew up on soul food. Mm-hmm. So I think when you ask somebody what what kind of food you should, mm-hmm. you like to eat, it should be of someone else's nationality. Yeah. So I like. Uh, so for you, it's Italian. Italian, and then I'll go to like uh, um, Asian food, something like that. Is there any particular place in Los Angeles that that you like to eat Italian food at? Um, no, but I used to go to Michelli's a lot. Okay, yeah. all right, Michelli's, all right. Yeah. Can't go wrong with that. Yep. What's your um? 
what's your um what's your outlook on um on a social media do, do you enjoy it do you wish you didn't have it or do you like it because it helps some of your shows what's your take on social media i hate social media okay I, and, I, and i and i and i'm on i'm on my phone you know we've yeah. been on this we we've been have, always every, on phones. every stop we've had yeah, on for wi-fi we're, we're like where's wi-fi you got yeah. wi-fi you got, you so know, we can check stuff yes send me my pictures you know whatever yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if you really ask me man mm-hmm. i i hate social media i think it's the worst thing ever created mm-hmm. i think and i said it i said it years ago that it was a, it was gonna be the devil's playing playground mm-hmm. and people of course i mean you know me man i'll right. say something and I say I don't say anything without thinking about it. Yeah, I like how you don't sugarcoat anything. You go right. Yeah, you speak from the heart. It's just but great. I, I say it because it's what it is right there, mm-hmm. and people don't like that. And I said years ago that um, social media was the worst thing ever created. And I remember it took me so long to get on to like the internet and to get on. Remember back before Facebook, MySpace, yeah, all that because stuff. Because I didn't want people to know anything about me. And what happened was, one day I, I when I finally got on it, I googled myself. I, you know, I just typed my name in there, yeah. and I popped all up over the internet. Like, and I didn't put none of the shit on it. <laughs> oh man! So I was like, "What the hell is that about?" You know what I mean? So that's what you know. That's just, I, you're just not a fan of it. No, I think it's just I think it's just terrible. I think it's um, I think it's something that's terrible. Um, it's it's got people that people don't know how to communicate no more. Right. Um, people have a false sense of um, security. toughness, yeah, security. Yeah, for sure. You know, people call you a bitch on social media. But they won't do it in real life. Or, or won't even be near you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or it's, you know, like your joke. And we mm-hmm. both, me, you yeah. and I both had that kind of yeah, filtered yeah. joke about the women. Yeah. You know, um, women, you know, also, I, I mean, I never, I never seen people become models <laughs> and never walk a red carpet. You know what I mean? That's the truth, man. You know? Isn't that the truth? So, <laughs> Um, I just, you know, and and we are giving these women and men power as models mm-hmm. or as, you know, social influence people, and they've never done anything. Right. Just because you showed your ass or you, you know, whatever. <laughs> so I just think You're it's... famous. I think it's the worst thing ever created. And people don't know how to communicate, and kids don't know how to communicate. And I think that's another reason why we got so much random shooting, because kids don't play no more, so they don't even know how to deal with each other. So if anything comes down, you know... If, I, if, if you were social media, I said, man, you're a punk. Mm-hmm. The first thing they do, instead of you going up there and asking God why I'm a punk, oh, he's bullying me. Yeah. You know, we use the word hate and bullying all wrong. So true. Okay, so this is a good segue for to close out the show. Where can people find you? <laughs> <laughs> Where can people find you on social media? God so And please, you. no, honestly, everybody, please follow my friend Dan Green. He... He has a really awesome documentary that's coming out. And tell everybody so they can find so Because I know you'll be posting updates it's and all that the, stuff. My documentary is called The Executioners. Mm-hmm. Um, I have been accepted into my first film festival. Nice. Congratulations. Which to me helps me. It means a lot because it validates it. For sure. Um, it's called the, Doc, the, the, the Impact Doc Awards out of mm-hmm. Laguna Hill. That's my first um, film festival that I've been accepted to. Um, you can find me on Dan and Green 66 on, on Instagram mm-hmm. and Dan and Green Facebook. But... You know, I feel like right now, um, it's a good time in my career. Um, I do feel like I, I, I do believe I'm one of the top comedians out there mm-hmm. and definitely can write. And it's just about opportunity. You heard it first, guys. He's a jack of all trades, so please follow him. Thank you guys for listening to Manny to the Max. Thank you one more time for coming in on this episode, buddy. And uh, please, you guys follow him. And I'll be back. Uh, we fly back on the 22nd. Second. Second. 
And we want to wish everybody a happy holidays and a happy new year. And Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. And a happy new year. And a happy new year. I ain't scared to say Merry Christmas. Yeah, Damn neither it. am I. <laughs> Thank you guys so much. Que pasó? Que pasó? It's your boy, Manny to the max. Peace. Peace. Hey.